Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. And just to, just so all of you know, this class here, we're going through the book of 1 Peter. We've been doing different books of the Bible and in one of the four classes here at Advent Hope, and we're doing the book of 1 Peter um, during this quarter, and we've gotten through chapter 1. So we're going to continue on, and I'm actually going to just cover a couple of things from last or the end of chapter one that I didn't have time to cover last week. Before we start, let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Sabbath day. We thank you for the opportunity to study from your word. We pray as we study First Peter that you would bless us and guide us. This is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have covered the first chapter and one of the things that we saw in the the theme of chapter one we see that we were that we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification unto obedience and that in Romans chapter 8 the elect are described as being justified so under inspiration the Bible writers equate being elect or chosen of God to being justified and sanctified thus putting justification and sanctification together in the salvation process there are some other things that we talked about the trial of our faith and how in verses 11 and 12, it talks about how the pro prophets wished that they could live in our day and that the things they wrote were especially for us. And then the last half of the chapter, we covered a lot of it last week, and I just want to hit a couple of high points. One of the things that, that we studied last week was the concept of being, and this is verse 23, where it says, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now we didn't, we had about 10 minutes to talk about the incorruptible seed, and really that should have been the majority of the class, and we kind of ran out of time. So I want to spend a little bit more time talking about being born again of incorruptible seed. And if you look at chapter 1, this comparison between corruptible and incorruptible begins in verse 18. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but in verse 18 it says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. So here's the corruptible, silver and gold, vain traditions from your fathers. He's speaking to the Gentiles who were accustomed to the pagan traditions of their time. And he's saying, you know, you're not redeemed through anything that is corruptible, that is earthly, that is of human tradition. So what are we redeemed with? Well, verse 19 tells us, with the precious blood of Christ. So the obvious comparison is, look, silver and gold and the traditions of men are corruptible. But the blood of Christ is incorruptible. So here's where the comparison starts. Corruptible, silver and gold, and the traditions of men. Incorruptible, the blood of Christ, who as a lamb without blemish and without spot offered himself. And then 
we go through and we see we believe in God who raised him up from the dead. And we're going to see how that ties in again here in a little bit. And we see that we've purified our souls in obeying the truth. And then verse 23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, what does the concept of being born again have to do with incorruptible seed? Now, what we've already seen is corruptible seed would be that which is silver and gold or that which is human from the traditions of men. Incorruptible comes from the precious blood of Christ, which is without spot. And we are born again of incorruptible seed. So what is it, how does incorruptible seed tie in with being born again? Is there any... Do you see any connection with the concept of the new birth and an incorruptible seed? Well, just to get your minds thinking along those lines, if you go to the next verse, verse 24, it says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. Based on what we've discussed so far, what's one word you would pick to describe grass or flesh? Corruptible. So, incorruptible seed means we're born again, but human flesh or grass withereth and fadeth away. So, what happens is you plant a seed of grass and it comes up out of the ground and it looks really good, or you plant a flower. He uses the concept of grass or flowers. You plant the, the grass, maybe you go to a golf course and you see really perfect grass at a golf course, or maybe you plant flowers in your garden and it comes up and it looks really great. What happens though, if you don't water the grass or you don't water the flowers, and here in Loma Linda it's 115 degrees? Like the Bible says, the grass and the flower withereth and fadeth away because it's coming from a seed that's corruptible. It's not a seed that will sustain the heat or the trials of life, so to speak. And it's interesting, earlier in this chapter, Peter talks about the trial of your faith. So what happens? Corruptible seed, when it's tried, it withers and fades away. Incorruptible seed, when it goes through the fiery trial, it is able to pass through. So it's interesting, Peter says, all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. Now, how many of us here are flesh? If you understand spiritual things here, we are all flesh. We are born, when we are born on this earth, we are born of the flesh. And what Peter is saying is, we are all like grass or flowers, when the, that when the trials come, we fade away, we wither, naturally speaking. So what needs to happen? We need to be born again of incorruptible seed. 
because we have naturally been born of corruptible seed. And the way we are born again of incorruptible seed is through the precious blood of the Lamb without spot and blemish. But let's take this a little bit deeper, and we didn't have time to develop this last week. Is there a place in the Bible that describes Jesus planting us as incorruptible seed? And I take you to John chapter 12. <clears throat> For those of you who've been through the Romans class, some of this will be a little bit of review, but hey, repetition deepens impression. John chapter 12, verses 23 and 24. Verse 23, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. So, clearly we know that Jesus is talking about his death. And this is when Jesus offered himself as the lamb without spot or blemish. This is his death on the cross. So th this connects to what Peter's talking about, that Jesus is incorruptible who offered himself as the precious lamb without blemish or spot. And then notice what he says in verse 24. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now, when Jesus says a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, he's talking about planting a seed. You see that there? By Jesus dying on the cross, he's, the illustration he uses is, by my death, I was a seed that was planted in the ground. And we know that Jesus is incorruptible. Peter makes that very clear in 1 Peter 1, and even if Peter didn't say that, we know that. Jesus was the lamb without blemish, without spot. He is an incorruptible seed, the incorruptible seed, planted into the ground. When you plant a seed into the ground, when it comes forth, a corn of wheat, it brings forth fruit in the likeness of the seed that was planted. So if you plant a corn of wheat into the ground, you're not going to come up with apples. It's pretty straightforward. It's going to be wheat. And Jesus is saying, I am the seed. So if Jesus is the seed, what comes forth out of the ground is going to be like Jesus. Does that make sense? It's not going to be sort of like Jesus. It's going to be like Jesus. There's no... Um, parsing there. And then if you go to Romans chapter 6, this continues the concept of the incorruptible seed. Romans chapter 6. Now, Romans chapter 6 is obviously a powerful chapter, and as we go through this, I'm just going to read a few verses here, starting, starting in verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? 
So Jesus died and he was a corn of wheat that was planted into the ground. If you're baptized into Jesus Christ, you're baptized into the same kind of death that he was baptized into. And then continuing on verses 4 and 5. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So look, Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. We should walk in newness of life. And then notice verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Now verse 5 says, if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. What does that sound like? If you're being planted... That means that Jesus is taking you as a seed and planting you into the ground. And it says you're planted together in the likeness of his death. So Jesus was a corn of wheat. He fell and he died. He was planted in the ground, but he comes forth and brings forth much fruit. And what Paul is saying here in Romans is we've been planted together in the likeness of his death. But we don't stay in the ground. It says we come forth and walk in newness of life. And verse 6 is knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So notice what Paul is saying and how it connects to what Peter is saying. Peter is saying, when we are born again, we are born of incorruptible seed. What's that incorruptible seed? Well, what we've seen already in 1 Peter is that Jesus is incorruptible because he was the lamb without blemish and without spot. And Jesus said, I was the seed or the corn of wheat that was planted in the ground. Jesus lived a perfect life, so therefore his seed is perfect or incorruptible. When Jesus died, that was like being planted in the ground, and he comes forth out of the grave resurrected. We, if we are born again of incorruptible seed, also are planted together in the likeness of his death. And Paul says that means that our old man is crucified with Christ, or the corruptible flesh is crucified. It's put to death. So when the corruptible flesh is put to death, then we don't wither and fade away under the fiery trials. In 1 Peter 1, when the fiery trials come, because we've been planted together in the likeness of Christ's death with incorruptible seed, we've been raised to walk in newness of life so that when the fiery trials come, it refines us further and further and more and more into the likeness of Christ. And so Peter and Paul are sort of tag-teaming here along with Jesus, and they're explaining what it means to be born again, what it means to be born of incorruptible seed. And earlier in chapter 1, <clears throat> Peter in verse 14 says, Obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance. The former lusts and your ignorance would be walking after the flesh. And then he makes this amazing statement in verses 15 and 16 where he says, But as he which hath called you is holy, 
so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. When you read that passage, you're like, well, what in the world? How can I be holy like God? That's impossible for a human being who is born of the flesh. And yet Peter goes on to say in the rest of the chapter, look, if you're born of the flesh, you're not going to be holy. If you walk after the flesh, if you are of corruptible seed, you will not be holy. However, if you are born again of incorruptible seed, you will be holy as God is holy. Not because of what we do, not anything through our own power, but because we have been crucified with Christ and we've been raised to walk in newness of life. And then it's interesting in the very next verse, 17, it talks about how God judges every man according to his work so that we, so therefore we pass our time here sojourning in fear. And I mentioned last week, this is reminiscent of the verse, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. Contextually speaking, to fear God would be to live a holy life as God is holy in the time of judgment. And how do we fear God or live a holy life in the time of judgment? It's to be born again. What does that mean? It means to be crucified with Christ or to be planted together in the likeness of his death so that we will be raised to walk in newness of life or the life of Christ here on this earth. And Peter is describing this experience and what he's trying to tell us is, look, in the judgment hour, God's people need to be born again. What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? What does it mean to live the life of Christ? It means to surrender your life 100% to Jesus Christ. Everything, your relationships, your career, where you live, how you, who you marry, all of those things, all of those things are surrendered to Jesus Christ 100%. And he lives out his life through you so that when the trials come, we don't wither and fade away. Now, it's interesting. You may say, well, how in the world can we, as human beings born of flesh and blood, be born again and not wither and fade away? Well, the rest of First Peter is going to explain that, but I want to take you to a verse which makes it very clear and should give us some hope. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1. This concept of all flesh is grass. But notice what First Peter 4, 1 says. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in where? In the flesh. So Christ was in the flesh. So we can't use that as an excuse to say, hey, I can't do it. Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. So do you see what Peter does here? By the time you get to chapter 4, and of course we'll get to it later, but it's interesting to make the connections now. Chapter 1, he says, all flesh is grass. It's corruptible seed. When the trials come, when the heat comes, flesh fades away. But you know what? Jesus lived in the flesh and he didn't fade away because he was of incorruptible seed. 
and we are being called to, even though we have flesh, to be born again of incorruptible seed. And First John, I'll make I'll make this as my one of my last points here about the flesh and this incorruptible seed. But in First John chapter three, <clears throat> verse nine, this concept of the seed and of being incorruptible <clears throat> and being born again. First John chapter three, verse nine: Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin for his seed the seed that's incorruptible right for his seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God so what I'm trying to show you here from these passages of scripture is Jesus is the seed he was planted in the ground as the incorruptible seed and when he comes up out of the ground he brings forth much fruit. That fruit is in his likeness. It's a reproduction of the seed that was planted. That seed is incorruptible because Jesus lived a perfect life. And all those who allow, all of us who allow ourselves to be planted together in the likeness of his death will come forth and live the life of Christ, even though we have human flesh. Christ had human flesh and yet he did not sin. He suffered for us. And it's interesting, first P in 1 Peter 4 verse 1 it says, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. It doesn't say arm yourselves likewise with the same flesh. What that tells us is that Jesus' human nature was subject to the same temptations that we are, most especially in the mind. It wasn't just a physical suffering, it was a mental suffering. So Peter understood the nature of Christ pretty clearly. So that's sort of reviewing a little bit chapter one. We only had 10 minutes to cover some of those points last week. And as I went back and prepared for this week, I thought, boy, we really need to spend a little bit more time on some of those concepts. So thank you for letting me do that. Um, the one last thing I guess I will say about chapter 1 is it, it says that all flesh is grass in verse 24, but verse 25 says, The word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Now, in a nutshell, what Peter is saying here is, look, all flesh fades away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So what is the word of the Lord? How is that the counterpart with flesh? Well, it's interesting, you know, in John 1.14 it says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Again, you can see the, the power of God's word dwelt among human flesh, became flesh, was made flesh. But the word of the Lord if you study John chapter 1, is the word that created this world. So the word of the Lord has creative power. And it's the word of the Lord that has creative power to take our weak, sinful human flesh and turn it into incorruptible seed. And Abraham, of course, 
in Genesis chapter 15, he's not believing that God can give him a son, and God takes him out and shows him the stars and says, so shall your seed be. And then Abraham believed. He said, oh yeah, God is creator. And when we remember that God is creator by his word, we will believe that God can create a new life in us. Which is why in chapter 1, verse 21, it says, Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. So we believe in God who raised up Jesus from the dead and who can raise us up to walk in newness of life because God's word has creative power. And then I like how verse 25 ends. It says, And this is the word, the word which has creative power which can take your corruptible flesh and make it incorruptible seed in the same way that Jesus lived. This is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. You know, the everlasting gospel is the power of God's word. The everlasting gospel is the gospel that says God's word is so powerful that it will take your sinful life and make it into a new life that lives the life of Christ here on this earth. That's the power of the gospel. The gospel is not, Jesus died for your sins and he covers you while you keep sinning all the way to heaven. Yes, Jesus died for our sins, but he also has the power through his word to raise us up to walk in newness of life. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So that's chapter one. We kind of tied it off. But I think that's pretty powerful. If you really study the concepts that Peter is talking about here. And again, Peter is a, f a first-hand witness. He was with Jesus for three and a half years. So he witnessed the teachings of Christ personally. And so it's wonderful to be able to study the words of God from an eyewitness who was with Jesus for three and a half years. So now we're going to get a little bit into chapter 2. We'll probably just cover the first few verses here, but that's fine. We, we're not in a hurry. We want to learn this well. Chapter 2, verse 1, starts with the word, wherefore. So based on what Peter has described in, in chapter 1, that all flesh is grass, that we wither and fade away, but we can be born again of incorruptible seed. Now he's going to describe, this is how you live a converted, born-again life. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, Boy, can you imagine what God's church would be like today if there was no malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, or evil speaking? That's walking after the flesh. That is the fruit of the flesh. That is corruptible seed. So if we're going to be incorruptible seed by the power of God, we lay aside all malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. You know, it's like, uh, I don't remember who said this, but it's like the worst witness against Christianity is Christianity. The things Christians have done in the name of Christ 
And yet, Peter is saying, if we're going to be born again of incorruptible seed, we lay aside all malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. Now, it would only make sense, though, if Christianity is saying, hey, we can't overcome sin. That's just the way we are. Then, humanly speaking, we're going to think, well, hey, if I can't overcome sin, then a little bit of malice here and a little bit of hypocrisy here and a little bit of this here and that here, you know, that's just the way the human experience is. But how much does Peter tell us to lay aside? He says all. That's just, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that's what he says. All malice, all guile, hypocrisies, and reason, all evil speakings. So there's no room for that in the Christian experience. Now it's interesting, this concept of laying aside all guile. Later on in this very same chapter, and that's, this is going to be very powerful when we study the life of Christ in this con context, but speaking of Christ, when he went through um, his trial and crucifixion, we see in verse 22, speaking of Christ, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So what's Peter calling us to be like? Or who is Peter calling us to be like? Peter's calling us to be like Christ. Christ had no guile in his mouth. And Peter says, lay aside all guile. Look, if Christ is the incorruptible seed that we are planted in his likeness of, it would only make sense if no guile is in his mouth, no guile will be in our mouths. And of course, you already know this, it's very interesting, Revelation 14, the 144,000 have no guile in their mouth, they are without fault before the throne of God. And here in 1 Peter 1, Peter says, Be holy as I am holy, and in the judgment fear God. And in the judgment, the 144,000 are found without fault, and they have no guile in their mouths. So 1 Peter is an instruction manual for how to be part of the 144,000. So, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies, and all evil speakings, notice verse 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. You know, people will say, well, you know, I'm new in the faith, so, you know, I, just, I have a lot of growing to do. And Peter's saying, hey, if you are a newborn babe, you've been born again of incorruptible seed, and you lay aside all malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, and you grow from there. It's not, hey, you know what, well, I know I have all these sins and I'm just still doing it and one of these days I'll stop doing it. What the Bible says is when you surrender your life 100% and are crucified with Christ and are born again of incorruptible seed, all of the sins in your life that you know about, those are laid aside. Now there may be sins in our lives that, in our lives that we don't know about and the Lord will reveal those to us at some later point. But the ones we know about, by the power of God, God is telling us to lay them aside as newborn babes because we have been born again. And it's interesting, it says, newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Now, what happens 
when you give a baby milk. Is that a good thing for a baby or a bad thing for a baby? It's a good thing. Now what happens if you feed them um, Revelation 17, 7 heads and 10 horns diet? That's the meat of the word, so to speak. That might not be the best thing to give a newborn babe. However, do you keep feeding a baby milk for the rest of its life? I hope not. Um, if, if, if you do, there's a major problem with the growth of that baby. I see Tad Wilson back here. He's a pediatrician. You don't feed a baby forever. Now, why is it that Christians are satisfied with milk year after year after year? I mean, I was at, at a, a lunch not too long ago where someone was, t we were t actually talking about Revelation 17, which is the meat of the word, there's no question. And they said, you know, we shouldn't talk about those things. We should just talk about the love of God. But then the question is, well, then why did God put that in his word? Obviously, we need the milk. You can't have only meat, and the, the newborn babes in the faith need the milk of the word. But the purpose of giving the newborn babes the milk is so that they'll grow to be able to tolerate and enjoy the meat of the word. If we're training Christians to sustain themselves on milk, for the rest of their life, we aren't doing our jobs properly as Christians. Absolutely, we start with milk, but we go to the meat. And Hebrews chapter 5 drives home this point. <laughs> Paul was writing to the Hebrews, and in verse 11 of chapter 5, he says, Of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, this is interesting. Paul says, if you're only drinking the milk of the word, you're dull of hearing. You're, you're, your spiritual ears are not going to be sharpened to discern the meat of the word. Now, what specifically does Paul describe as the meat of the word in Hebrews 5? It's, it's righteousness, or righteousness by faith. So you know what Paul is saying? If you're stuck on the milk of the word, you really won't understand righteousness by faith. Now that's a problem, because righteousness by faith is the theology that helps us to understand how to be righteous in the sight of God to be ready when He comes. And if we don't really understand that, we could be in danger of misunderstanding that important teaching when, that will enable us to be ready when Jesus comes. So Paul is encouraging us, get past the milk of the word, go on to the meat. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, this also shows us what happens when we stay stuck 
on the milk of the word. Starting in chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not yet carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? If you notice what's happening here, Paul is speaking to the Christian church at Corinth, to the Corinthians, and he's saying, you know, you're babes in Christ. And there may have been that time where they had that new birth experience, but then they stayed stuck on the milk of the word, and they decided to just keep drinking the milk, what happened? Divisions came into the church. Some said, well, I like the theology of Paul. Others said, no, I like the, the theology of Apollos. I, I think his theology is more sound. And you got into this basically unconverted division strife, envying, and so forth, because people stayed stuck on the milk of the word. And we are being exhorted to grow by drinking the milk of the word so that we can then partake of the meat of the word. So we've gotten through the first two verses of um, chapter two. But, well, I guess he's not up there yet. So we will continue chapter 2 next week and next week we are going to get into the concept of how Christ lived in the flesh but how he gives us an example of how to live according to the incorruptible seed. So we've gotten a good start in this book the importance of being born again that we need to be of incorruptible seed and Jesus is going to give us the example of how to live a born again life in the flesh. So that's what we will continue from this point. That's probably a good stopping point. So thank you, everyone. Why don't we bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you of the promise that we can be born again of incorruptible seed. May we have that experience. May we follow you. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.